morning. Had to get my old people thing set up here again. There we go. So it's wonderful to see you here, since most of us are on the road today. So welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's really great that God has knit us all into one body, no matter where we are in time and place and culture, we're together in him. So we've been going through our uh, sermon series this year. I have my identity in Christ. Who am I in Christ? And this morning we're going to be looking at the fact that I have eternal life in Christ. And we're going to use probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible to start from, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is good news, right? That takes care of a whole lot of stuff. There's a lot to unpack in this famous verse because for one thing, there's two major ways to understand what Jesus is talking about, about eternal life. The first, the one that we tend to go to first and the one that makes us just feel so lovely is that we have life after death, right? Amen? Yeah. We know that we are with God when we die. There's lots and lots of verses that talk about this. We're going to just cherry pick a few. We're going to start with John 11, 25, and 26, where Jesus is talking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who has just died, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they died. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha kind of, you know, she's like, I believe, help my unbelief, because her brother is lying there dead, A. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she knows him well. So she's, you know, got this question. Do you believe me? Let's look at, look, look at Luke 23, verse 43. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying. You know, he's facing the question himself, do I have life after death? And the thief on the cross next to him has begged for mercy, and Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I wasn't baptized, you'll be with me in paradise today. Let's look at John 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. In all three of these verses, Jesus is circling around, you have eternal life if you believe me. Which kind of, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get angsty and start thinking, okay, do I actually believe or not? Am I okay? What is this whole believe thing? Well, I think we've all been Christians long enough to know it's not just a question of agreeing mentally to certain precepts and saying, okay, I think that's probably true. You know, I mean, that's important, but it's not, eternal life. So what is it then? 
Let's look at John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So believing is knowing him. Knowing God intimately and trusting his goodness so much that we can obey him no matter what. We have to be able to commit our lives to him and his law of love. That's believing. Let's look at John 10, verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus talking about knowing him to eternal life. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. The sheep know the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep. They follow him. So, life after death, what is heaven like? It kind of, well, sometimes when I talk to people about what do you think heaven is like, I kind of get this glazed look on a lot of faces and sort of like, well, you get a halo and a harp and it's church forever, yay. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of an old joke that George Carlin used to tell about a TV show about a group of Mormons that fought all kinds of hardship and deprivation and starvation and persecution and tornadoes and hostile natives to get to Utah, only to discover they don't like it there. <laughs> Some of us have a similar secret fear about heaven in a lot of ways. This is a Gary Larson cartoon. I don't know if you can read it, but the guy's sitting on the cloud thinking, oh, I wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> Well, life after death, is, it's kind of a waiting room, only this is not the waiting room that you're used to with the old out-of-date magazines and the fish tank and the clock that never moves. This is waiting for the kingdom to come to earth. God's waiting room, the heaven that we think of, life after death, is being with God conscious and awake and alive and able to see what he's doing and begin to understand what he's up to. We're being fitted in this life to be able to live in heaven and like it there. We need to be getting good at eternal life now so that we can enjoy it when God shows up, you know, in that split second before you hit the back of the semi-truck. And we can actually say, you know, wow, I love you, God. Take me with you. Instead of, oh, no, what's going to happen to me now? Heaven is not an ethereal spirit world, but a solid physical one. God will create heaven and earth anew, and heaven and earth will come together, and God will live with his people on the earth that he made for people to be in. You've been looking at the, at the pictures from the, the fabulous new telescope and how the universe is like a billion times bigger than we thought it was and it was already too big to think about. That's all made for God and his spirit 
and his people, even if we're not the only ones, or if we are, it doesn't matter. That's all about heaven and earth are going to come together and we're going to be in it for real. There's stuff to do in heaven. I mean, obviously we get to hear everybody's story and find out about what Jesus was up to in all their lives and, you know, get your pets back and your family back and all that good stuff that we think about. But there's also work to do. In John 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at his very work, even to this very day, and I too am working. It's satisfying, enriching work that we can't wait to get back to, work that will never be a drudgery, work that will perfectly carry out God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be doing stuff that is good and pleasing and perfect? I'd get out of bed for that. The work that we are designed to do that will perfectly fit who and what we were created to be. Fulfilling work. Jesus talks about us ruling and judging, not being judgmental, but judging in the sense of making things right. Do you ever sit around and think about, you know, if I were queen for a day, I would blah, 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 and make things right. Well, it's good that we're not, at least it's good that I'm not, and that urge to set things right is part of our job in heaven. We get to actually do that. It's not rest from work that we desire, but rest from toil and frustration and meaninglessness. That will be done. We will be free from any temptation to sin. We'll have all the good feels, love and laughter and rejoicing and delight and tears of joy. So eternal life includes life with God after our physical death. But wait, there's more. The Bible has a whole bunch more to say about eternal life than just you'll be with me when you die. The second part of this is that eternal life is now. We are living eternal life now. We are being grown up in the Holy Spirit this life is kind of like boot camp for heaven. We're getting good at living the law of love so that when we step into it for real, we'll fit. Jesus described eternal life in the present tense. Not just the future, but a present possession of every believer which continues into the future. So that death is just a speed bump. Probably won't even notice it, a lot of us. Let's look at John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus is talking about eternal life in a way that kind of helps you begin to see the nowness of it. He's talking at the woman of the well, and he says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living with Jesus now is eternal life bubbling up and growing more and watering our life and leaking out into the lives around us. The Jews talked a lot about eternal life and uh, basically they had two different concepts for life. One was chaye olam, which is eternal life, and partly that means life after death, but partly they're talking about lasting life, 
or life lived for eternity. It refers to living your life focused on matters of eternal importance. Loving, being, worshiping, seeking, even wrestling with God is chaye olam. They contrast that with chaye sha'ah, which is the fleeting life, the everyday things, the working and making money and eating and sleeping and being a chimp with clothes on. Me and my stuff, what I like, what I want. Let's look at Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. And this is David talking about Chaye, um, sorry, Chaye Sha'ah, not Olam. <laughs> this is the meaningless life. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field and the wind blows over it and it's gone and it place remembers it no more. That's that horrible feeling at three in the morning of, you know, was anybody even gonna know I was here? Well, sorry to tell you, but probably not. I mean, even famous people, all we know now is just the story, and that's 40% not true. If you wanna be remembered, God's gotta remember you. But being a church person a religious person can actually be kind of a chaye cha'a, a meaningless drudgery, if we're not careful. And there's a really interesting story that Luke tells about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And we tend to just kind of see him as a local rich kid. But when I was doing the research for this, there was a guy who was proposing, well, what if actually this rich young ruler is one of the Pharisees in the temple who is really kind of seeing Jesus as the really cool summit group? You know, he's exciting, he's got these great stories, and I'm going to do this, and sort of like how you just go take another workshop and you, you know, read another book, and, and it's kind of, it's fun, and it's entertaining, and it's, profitable sometimes, but it's just another thing of religious life. It's a struggle to choose really walking with Jesus. So let's look at that story in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 and 22. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of just does a real off the rails thing here. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Nobody's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Well, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And we know in this story that the rich young ruler was not able to do that. That was too big of an ask for him. But I kind of, every time I read that story, I think, you know, that there's this really speed bump. The guy says, good teacher, what should I do to inherit life? And Jesus is like, what are you calling me good for? Sort of like, did you hear the question, Jesus? <laughs> But Jesus, of course, is right on target. 
what he's actually saying is only the pursuit of God, who is good, is eternal life. You're just following me around as answer man. You want to get some more brownie points for church. But only God is actually good. Choose him. And you also notice, and this is, I'm maybe making a little bit of a stretch here, but all the commands that Jesus quotes are the ones about people to people. Here's how you treat people. He skips the first four about here's your relationship with God. He's making them separate. Right after he said only God is good. You've got to pick God. It's not about the rules. By following Jesus now, by choosing him now, we can live eternal life now. And we better. So growing up into eternal life, I said this life is boot camp. We're, we're learning how to do eternal life so that when it starts, we'll be ready. We do that by walking with the Spirit and coming to know God intimately. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 8. And again, this is super familiar. I'm not telling you anything in this sermon that you haven't heard a million times. We're just reviewing it because, you know, we're kind of dumb. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, Paul says. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there are knowledge, it will pass away. But love never fails. Think about that. If love never fails, if the life of love never fails, then by definition, loving is eternal life. When we're loving, we are living eternal life now. I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one, but do you ever catch yourself arguing with the Holy Spirit about who you're going to love and how much you're going to love? How much you're going to hold back? and why, and why you're right. Think about the political person that is trying to wreck this country, whoever you think that is. Are you willing to love that person, actually genuinely wish them good, and stop posting mean things about them? Or do you want to argue with the Holy Spirit about that? I don't know about you, but I argue a lot about that. And it's hard to choose Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he had to turn and become their enemy, and he himself fought against them. There's a story that I once heard, uh, an old woman was talking to her grandchild and, and she told a story about how she was in a hospital hallway one time in the ER and there was a woman going by on a stretcher and she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, you need to pray for that woman right now. Go do it right now. And this like, ah, would be embarrassing and I can't you know, run over there. And so she didn't. And she found out later that woman died. And she told her granddaughter, honey, you don't ever want to get a whooping from the Lord. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is kind of crazy, so, you know, we're going <laughs> to argue a lot, but don't grieve. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. 
those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What we want as chips with clothes on is not what the Holy Spirit wants. So we are born to argue. Hopefully we'll wrestle with God and get our hips thrown out and have our name changed and choose him. But it's going to be a fight. <laughs> Even, you know, if we chose when we were 12 years old, we still fight. We still kick. But here's the good of it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit living through us, of course, we know this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do you not want that? I could even just use self-control in the kitchen once in a while, you know? Who doesn't want the Holy Spirit to win that fight? So how do we participate in the process of growing up in the Holy Spirit? Well, the apostles talk a lot about this because that's basically all church is about, growing ourselves up in the Holy Spirit. As I'm listening, as I'm reading this verse, listen for the, the words, through knowledge of him, and so you may become partakers in the divine nature. We're doing 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. Make every effort to climb the stairs. The best way to get to know God intimately and interactively is to obey him. That's what it means, taste and see that God is good. The way to taste is to do it his way. Try it and see. Not just his commands, but his spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. We are really jumping around the Bible today, aren't we? I love this. Whoever sows to please the flesh, this is almost exactly the same thing as Paul was saying earlier. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Chimps with clothes on go to dust every single time. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And we'll jump straight to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 32. How do we go about growing up in the Spirit? Lots to say about it. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. 
Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they have something to share with those in need. Our work is about loving. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit all who listen. Our thoughts and our speech are about loving. Do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We know all this stuff. Let's look at 1 Timothy. Timothy, sorry, Tim. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Paul has just been writing to Timothy about all the stuff that the struggle is all about and all the things he needs to resist. And he winds up by saying, you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We got to fight for it. Mostly, if you're like me, fight ourselves for it. So what does growing up into eternal life look like from the outside? St. Arrhenius, one of the very first of the church fathers way back in, I think, the third century or whatever, he said that, that really famous quote that you've probably heard, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. Life comes from participation in God. Participation in God is to see God and enjoy his goodness. And John Wesley, here's what he had to say, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That would be a good life, wouldn't it? I want to grow up to be able to do that. Here's Dallas Willard. God's intention is that I should grow to the point where he can safely empower me to do what I want. <laughs> that means that my life is about growing my wanter to want what God wants. An interesting take on growing up in the Holy Spirit. We are all beings that are meant to live our lives towards something we cannot possibly accomplish on our own. Obviously, we need God's assistance to do these things. All these three takes, to me, it, it looks like something I want to get into. It's exciting. Well, let's look at power in this earthly life. Is it eternal or is it fleeting? Let's look at our money. If I'm holding on to my money, holding on to my kingdom. I mean, my money is my power, after all. A cheerful giver is operating from the abundance of God's kingdom. I mean, we have Jesus' blessing to spend our money extravagantly on things that will show God's love. It's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the suck-up love of money. 
What about our time? Time is our other power in this life. Do we spend it on ourselves? Or do we spend it on loving God and loving people? One thing that I have to fight with the Holy Spirit about every single evening is am I gonna sit here and watch YouTube or do something productive? Do I spend my time on mindless entertainment and video games or do I spend it on people? Because people are going to live forever. Am I gonna nurture friendships and show hospitality and raise kids and love people and have treasure in heaven? Here's the cool part about being bored with heaven. The happier, the more sanctified I become, the more in line with the Holy Spirit I am, the happier and more peaceful I am. Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, remember that? Okay. Jesus doesn't tell a story, but we are told a story of something that happened with Jesus and his disciples about a woman who took a dare for love. Let's look at Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. As Jesus looked up, they're sitting in the, in the synagogue. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She is focused on God, not on her fleshly worries, and she had a ton of worries. The widow's might is more than the others because God gave with her. She gave with God. She's giving the way God gives. She is absolutely hanging it out there. Eternal life is living beyond ourselves. You know that good old scene from, from Indiana Jones and the Temple of whatever, you know, where he has to step out onto the bridge that isn't there <laughs> in order for it to be there? It's kind of like that. Jesus is constantly healing people by asking them to do something they can't do. You crippled? Stretch out your hand. You're paralyzed? Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus is hard to please. Are you dead? Come forth! <laughs> when we act in trusting obedience to the law of love, the Holy Spirit can begin to move. We can't wait for the feeling before we act. The Israelites, when they were coming into the promised land, had to cross the river Jordan at its flood. And God had promised that he would stop the river but not until they step into it. They had to actually start walking across and then God stopped the river. That interactive relationship with God is eternal life. It's knowing God and interacting with him. So, I, I've used this analogy many, many times, but I love it. The old fat lady is standing on the platform a million miles in the air, it feels like, and there's a zip line. Now I've read about zip lines, I've watched YouTubes about zip lines, I understand zip lines, I know that the thing that's you know this big that's holding you onto the line won't break, but do I actually believe the zip line? What do you think? Not so much? Two people go ahead of me. 
You know, they go down, they're screaming and laughing and kicking or crying and puking, whatever it is they're doing on the way down, but then they kind of like disappear down there. You know, I don't know what happened to them. Do I believe the zip line? When do I believe the zip line? When does my faith become real? When does it become real? Is there anything the Holy Spirit is asking of you that's going to take a leap of faith? That you're going to have to grab onto God's hand and say, save me, Jesus. Here we go. Father, the fleeting life of the flesh is so seductive for our attention and it seems so important. Help us, we beg, to perceive your spirit at work in us, calling us to grow in loving trust of your goodness. Give us the grace to dare to obey you beyond what we've ever dared before. Bring our minds right now to the unlovely and unlovable people in our lives. Show us how we can take another step into loving them in your eternal power. Help us sense the choices we face as choices, 